0: The U.S. State Department is telling Americans to get out of Ukraine. It's a big week there. The country's Independence Day is on Wednesday, but Ukraine has canceled all celebrations. It's also the six-month anniversary of the start of the war. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky issued a warning in his weekly address that, quote, "...this week Russia might try to do something particularly nasty, particularly cruel." Pressure has been building after a mysterious targeted murder on a highway last weekend. A 29-year-old woman killed in a car bombing, not in Ukraine, where all the violence of this war has occurred, but outside of Moscow, in a nice area even. She wasn't a household name in Russia yet, but the murder of Daria Dugina and the revenge that many people believe will accompany it could signal the opening of a new and scarier front in Russia's war. Next...
1: Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required equivalent to $15 a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
2: Hey, Jimbo, I'm going to heat up some pasta just in case, okay? You need your energy.
3: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2%
0: It's Today Explained. I'm Noelle King. Andrew Roth is Moscow correspondent for The Guardian. He's been following the apparent assassination of Daria Dugana closely. Andrew, tell us what you know.
4: So Daria Dugana was leaving a festival on Saturday evening. And as she drove away from this kind of big sort of right-wing political festival, she was driving on her way back to Moscow when all of a sudden her car exploded. It was a sort of massive explosion that tore through the car and she was killed at the scene of the explosion. Russian authorities say she was likely murdered, a bomb placed under her seat. The question is why? So Darya Dugana is, first of all, a political commentator. Uh, this is a person who would go on television and she was pretty conservative in what she said. And, and in Russia right now, that means that she was fairly pro-war, meaning the war against Ukraine. Russian
0: state television's tribute to Daria Dugina, killed in a car bomb on Saturday night. A signal to us all, the presenter says. She died for her views. She died for the idea of the Russian world.
4: She'd been very outspoken about her opposition of the government in Kiev, and her support basically for uh, the Kremlin fighting in Ukraine.
3: She says people in the West are living in a dream and they need to be nourished by this war.
4: But the other thing that makes her important is who her father is. Alexander Dugin is probably one of the better known political thinkers, pundits in Russia. And he's best known as an extremely conservative, some would call him fascist, thinker on, on the Russian far right. To people in the know, Alexander Dugan, a philosopher and
3: Russian public intellectual, matters because he says what Putin thinks.
4: So Alexander Dugan is best known for this idea of, of neo-Eurasianism, which I guess you could call a version of Russian exceptionalism. This was a person who was fanatical. At times he was viewed almost as a kind of huckster, a person who could always be relied on to come out with an ultra-nationalist point of view about any conflict. So this is a person who was born into a military family, but kind of came into his own in the 80s, when you know there were anti-communist movements coming out, and this united a bunch of different people. And by the 1990s, uh, Dugin, along with another a writer, who was well-known in Russia, Edward Limonov, founded a movement that basically united far left and far right ideologies. Russia's
1: disparate opposition has been left to unite under the umbrella of the other Russia an organization that includes a wide array of political opinion in the country.
4: It was a kind of communist fascist movement that was violent in its ideology, opposed to the kind of liberalism under Yeltsin, and supported a kind of much harder, different version of Russia that was much more aggressive, particularly in places like Ukraine, which uh, they saw as sort of an inexorable part of Russia, a part of Russia that should remain. It's around this time in the the late 1990s that Dugin publishes what's probably his best-known book. So in
2: 1997, you wrote a book called Foundations of Geopolitics. And in it, you talked about how Russia should return to being a global superpower.
4: I mean, this is really where he lays out these ideas of why Russia is different, why there's this kind of clash of civilizations with the West, and why Russia shouldn't really turn away from that idea, but it has to embrace its Russianness. ness let's say, this idea of empire.
3: I always believed and I believe uh, in, the, in the future greatness of Russia, because Russia was always
4: and tried to be a superpower. In some places, there are reports that this text is being used either in the military or in certain police groups, basically amongst what you might call siloviki in Russia, people involved in the security state, um, who have more nostalgia, I think, for the strong Soviet Union and wanted to see some sort of strong Russia uh, rise in its place. So Dugin is out here with these very radical and very strong ideas already in the 1990s, But I don't think it's totally correct to say that he and Vladimir Putin see eye to eye in terms of most ideas of what Russia should become or in the sort of rise of what we would call Putinism. You know, for Putin, especially in the first decade of the time that he was in power, his control was really rooted, first of all, to a kind of social contract with the public where he ensured stability by fighting against the oligarchy that had grown in the 1990s, against the kind of massive wealth inequality that had taken place. And in response, Russians who get to enjoy Western comforts uh, would kind of just leave politics to him and they would kind of step away from the political realm. So, in many ways, Dugan doesn't fit in there. The moment that Dugan becomes more important really comes in 2014 when. All of a sudden, these views about clash of civilization really come to a head, because this is the moment when Russia annexes Crimea. U.S.
3: defense officials are keeping a very close watch on eastern Ukraine tonight, as thousands of Russian troops gather on the border. To quote one defense official,
4: it's like they're on a hair trigger. You know, you can divide Putin's time and power into pre and post Crimea, because it's such an important shift for the country. It's no longer about trading prosperity for political control. Uh, it's about re-embracing an idea of empire and re-embracing maybe some of these ideas that Dugan thought were so important. As time goes on, Dugan trades on this. You know, he... he really wants to portray himself as somebody who's incredibly powerful, incredibly influential. Um, But I would say that Dugan's influence has always been kind of disputed. Is it because of him that these ideas started to take root in the Kremlin? We don't really think so. You know, Dugan has no photographs with Putin. They've never been seen together. And Dugan is a a bit of a huckster. You know, if we look at Trump world, (laughs) uh, he might remind you of someone like a Sebastian Gorka, a person who claims to have, you know, power and influence and access but maybe it's just somebody who is effective at claiming that he knew what was gonna happen next, of catching on to trends and kind of picking up on them quite effectively. So even though Dugan had kind of come into the right moment, he almost overplayed his hand a little bit. He came out with some very inflammatory comments, uh, saying that he wants to see Russians kill, kill, kill Ukrainians. <laughs> They were so inflammatory that he ended up losing his job uh, at the Moscow State University where he, he held a, a position at that point. So since then, he's a person who has been on the fringes of the political power. He's somebody who seems to have captured something about the mood, uh, the directions that Russia is moving in. But it's somebody who has always been held at arm's length and I would say who, who remains kind of on the fringes of power in Russia. He's more of a curiosity than somebody who is really running the country.
0: When Russia invaded Ukraine and took this very aggressive action, do you think Alexander Dugin was somewhere in the back of or in the front of Vladimir Putin's mind?
4: I think almost certainly not. I don't think that Dugin was directly influencing Putin at that point. But these ideas about conflict, uh, these ideas that the Ukrainian state doesn't exist, those had been growing quite quickly in terms of popularity in the Kremlin and elsewhere particularly from 2020 2021 and right up to the war in 2022
0: is alexander dugin known to western officials is this man on the radar of the united states or the uk
4: yeah the funny thing about alexander dugin is he's probably better known to western officials than he is known to most russians oh this is a person who you know is very much a self-promoter i can tell you that He has been very popular as an interview subject in the last 10 years, and that he was so popular that he was telling journalists he wanted 500 euro to be interviewed uh, at a certain point (laughs) after 2014 and 2015. So you get the kind of idea of a kind of person this was.
0: What has Alexander Dugin been saying and doing since Russia invaded Ukraine? Is he taking credit?
4: He has to a certain degree. Yeah, this is a person who says that he kind of uh, foresaw the conflict before it happened. But keep in mind that this is not a person who most people are seeing on Russian television because he was still somewhat a fringe guest, uh, even for the kind of mainstream political pundits that you would see on TV.
0: Would you have seen his daughter, Daria?
4: You would have seen his daughter, Daria. And I think that's one of the key differences between them. Daria, to a certain degree, managed to take on a lot of the politics that her dad promoted. You know, this kind of Russian exceptionalism, especially from a kind of philosophical point of view. She presented herself as a deep thinker, but one who came to the same conclusions about, you know, the war being correct, uh, about Ukrainians and the West being in a zombie state were some of the things that she said. Daria was a a slicker version, you could say, of her father, less well-known, of course, but somebody who was kind of carrying on the family tradition, it's something she would say, is that she had the kind of same views as her father and was carrying on that tradition as well. You know, you could compare it to Jean-Marie Le Pen and his daughter uh, in France as the idea of this kind of single political idea, but it's just a different packaging for it. And, you know, right up until her death was having these kinds of appearances on Russian television where she was saying pretty inflammatory stuff.
0: There's a lot of speculation in the news that the target of this car bombing was her father, Alexander Dugin. Who do you think was the target?
4: My first reaction when I heard about the car bombing was that this must have been meant for him and that it was a mistake. He's an unusual target. You know, if we think that this was done because of the war or in some way tied to the war, there are much more influential people Hmm. and people who are much more closely involved in the planning for the war, people who have fought in Ukraine. But he's somebody that could make sense as a target for revenge or retribution, especially because he's well-known in the West. The daughter also, you know, since she was involved in politics, it was seen, I think, still as a kind of a political assassination or some kind of assassination uh, that had hit somebody who supported the war. But there isn't a real sense of, you know, why she would be targeted instead of him.
0: My first assumption was that Daria Dugan's murder would be a huge slap in the face to Putin. The Kremlin released a a condolence letter addressed to Dugin and his wife, calling this a vile, cruel crime. It seemed at first like this was the daughter of Putin's ally, a man that he cares deeply about. But you've painted a different picture of the relationship between Putin and Dugin. Is it possible that Vladimir Putin doesn't really care about this murder?
4: I can't speak for Putin because I can't be inside his mind, But I. I do think that even calling him a kind of close ally would be an exaggeration. But there is certainly a world where, um, for Putin, this is just part of the cost of the war that's taking place. There was always an expectation that Russia would have to sacrifice some things uh, in order to achieve this greater aim of subjugating Ukraine, of pushing back, you know, Western influence. And um, after six months, uh, this is the kind of first, let's say, political attack if this is tied to the war that's taking place in Moscow. And I think that it, it, to him, it could very much be just the cost of doing business.
0: Coming up, will it increase that cost of doing business on Putin's turf? The murder of Daria Dugina may mean this war has finally come to Russia.
1: Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required. Equivalent to $15 a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Mom, the vacuum. The vacuum. You never call. That's because I live here, Mom. Hmm.
3: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day.
0: It's Today Explained. At a memorial service for his daughter, Alexander Dugan said she would want Russians to fight. She died for Russia on the front line, he says, and that front line is here. And that notion that the war is now in Russia, Andrew Roth of The Guardian, that's a shift. Lay out for me how this began and where it might be going
4: so Alexander Dugin and his daughter, they left this festival, which is called Tradizia, or Tradition, um, maybe about five minutes apart. And so he would have been driving down the same highway, uh, also going back toward Moscow, when the bomb ripped through her car and when she was killed. So what we know is that after that took place, that Dugin turned around, somehow had heard about what had happened, and went back to the site where... The car uh, had blown up, where it had gone on fire and kind of crashed into a fence close by. And there's some video that was shared, or it's a leaked, of him kind of standing there holding his head, uh, looking at, you know, this car where his daughter had just been driving that had just blown up. It's fairly raw. You know, it, it happened just right after the moment when the attack took place. The images have been shared a lot especially on, on the internet, you know, on social media, because tensions are very raw. This is a person who was very strongly disliked in Ukraine uh, for the things that he had talked about, you know, violence being necessary. And um, there wasn't much sympathy for him, I think. And that's kind of driving a reaction in, in Russia among the elites uh, who knew him as well, who have been very strongly demanding a kind of backlash or response to that. And he came out with a statement that I would say was fairly hard-line pro-war and and kind of exactly what we would expect Dugan to say. This is something that was put out in written form. Uh, But he said that, you know, it wouldn't be enough to demand retribution for her death. Uh, What we really need is victory. He means victory in the war over Ukraine and that he gave up his daughter essentially as part of his contribution to the war that's taking place. So very little in terms of changing any kind of political view or any view on what had happened. I mean, this was a very kind of hard line, stay the course statement for a person who just lost his daughter in this attack.
0: Who is Russia saying is responsible for her death?
4: So the Russians have come out and said that uh, they think Ukraine is behind the attack. Uh, It's not much of a surprise. That was kind of where this was all going. That they claim that a Ukrainian woman uh, traveled with her, say, twelve-year-old daughter in a Mini Cooper across the border into Russia, uh, moved into the apartment where Daria Dugina lived, surveilled her, went to the festival, planted the bomb, you know, and then after the attack, that they took the same Mini Cooper, switched the license plates, and drove out of the country and are now hiding in Estonia. So that version uh, is a mouthful and it naturally has a lot of people, you know, asking questions. You know, they have put out video of her, this woman crossing the border, coming into Russia and then leaving Russia and apparently entering a house that they say is the same one that Dugina lived in. But it, you know, it's pretty far from any kind of concrete proof that she was involved in the attack. Ukraine has denied the attack uh, and in general, Ukraine denies cross-border attacks. Uh, against Russia and says that, you know, it only speaks about attacks that basically take place in Ukraine and fighting that takes place in Ukraine. Um, But it has been a very strong denial in this case. And everybody who supposedly, you know, knows this woman or is involved has also so far denied um, that she has any kind of connection to the attack. So, in this case, the FSB, which is the Russian security services, uh, we understand why they're accusing Ukraine of this attack, but it it is a little bit difficult to take their accusations at face value. You know, we we obviously need more evidence to understand what happened, and it, it kind of remains unclear. There are a lot of other theories about what could have taken place in the attack. One that the Ukrainians have discussed is the idea that it's what some call a false flag, the idea of a conspiracy where bomb was planted in order to, you know, generate a reason to either escalate the war or launch a political crackdown at home, right? So it's the idea that Russia itself, you know, launched the attack. And then there are a bunch of other ideas too about what could have happened. But first of all, it's difficult to really find evidence for any of them. And second of all, some of the other theories probably aren't going to influence what happens going forward. To me, the key is that Russia came out with these accusations, they went public with them, and to a certain degree that indicates that Russia is gonna launch some kind of response to what's happened.
3: In Ukraine tonight, fears of retaliation in a country already on high alert, as Ukraine prepares to mark six months of war on Wednesday, coinciding with its day of independence. <laughs> President Zelensky warning Russia may be planning something particularly cruel to ruin the occasion. Ukraine's second-largest city will impose a round-the-clock curfew on a bittersweet Independence Day.
0: Okay, and then there's reporting that a former member of Russia's parliament, a man who is on the outs with Vladimir Putin, is claiming that a Russian resistance exists and that resistance has taken responsibility. Can you tell me about that claim and whether you are convinced at all by it?
4: It's a pretty extraordinary claim. It would be an incredible moment and incredibly politically important if there was a kind of armed resistance inside of Russia right now that was, you know, physically now taking steps to try to attack the government, uh, stop the war. I think a lot of people were very surprised to see the claims that were being made because there just hasn't been much evidence so far of a kind of real armed resistance inside of Russia. Um, So, You know, in many ways, all we can do is take the the remarks at face value. But it seems like officials in Kiev and officials in Russia both have kind of rejected that claim so far.
0: Do you think this could be a turning point in how the war is fought in any sense?
4: You know, what the Russians who are speaking out most loudly uh, about this attack are saying is that they want to see retribution and that they want to see Russia really start to target Uh, government buildings in Kiev, government officials, um, they want to see targeted killings. And uh, while those have to a certain degree taken place so far, you know, we still see missile attacks against Ukrainian cities. Uh, It's clear that it could probably be stepped up and that we could see something that looks much more like urban fighting both in Ukrainian cities, but also in Russia as well. Um, This is something that could become a danger for places like Moscow, St. Petersburg, where the Russian elite are and it would be the first time when for a lot of russians the war really starts to come home in moscow one thing that's so surprising here is the fact that you could feel like there's really no war taking place at all Uh, people go on with their daily lives you see some symbols that are you know related to the war mostly pro-war symbols like big z's you know on, on public transport but to be honest otherwise you don't really see much of much of the war at all here and if there start to be bombings, shootings, and things like that, I think that it really becomes unavoidable and, and impossible to ignore. Um, one place where we've seen that is Crimea, where somehow, you know, people were still going on vacation as though nothing was taking place, as though there was no war taking place in Ukraine, just uh, dozens of miles away. Uh, and it was only when ammunition dumps started blowing up there and that, you know, people started getting a little bit spooked and realizing, oh, you know, wait a minute, maybe you <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't be on vacation here right now. So I think that's a real goal for the Ukrainian side, if if this was them behind it. And I do think that that's a huge concern for Russia as well.
0: So months into Russia's invasion of Ukraine, this war could now be coming to Russia.
4: Exactly, and not just to Russia, but to ordinary Russians, you know, and to people who live in some of the, the country's biggest cities. I think that's the fear and also the whole concern around the bombing is not just about who it was and this individual family, but also about what it represents. Fear, and terror, the Russians would argue. That's what could worry the Kremlin the most.
0: Andrew Roth, he's the Moscow correspondent for The Guardian. Today's show was produced by Avashai Artsy with an assist from Halima Shah on a Sunday, no less. It was fact checked by Laura Bullard with help from Tori Dominguez. It was engineered by Paul Robert Mounsey. Amina El Sadi edited the show. I'm Noelle King. It's Today Explained.
2: And here we are still paying for Jimbo's bill.
1: What are you doing in here? This is my room. Uh,
2: Nothing, nothing. I'm doing nothing. Wait a minute, are you recording? Are you Uh, recording? I'm almost done. Just, Just let me finish. I'm on a roll. Okay. To get your new wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com explained. Upfront payment of forty five dollars required equivalent to fifteen dollars a month. Right, that's fifteen times three. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Ooh, woo woo
1: <laughs> Okay, that was actually pretty good.